Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with my co-host, Matt Scott. And for today's podcast, we are going to do the deep dive into the Overlander's everyday carry. So we're going to talk about electronics. We're going to talk about watches. We're going to talk about knives and clothing and luggage. And this episode is also brought to us by Scout Campers. Uh, now, I've not personally tested this, the Scout Camper, but they do have a good reputation for quality and innovation. Scout is the ultimate lightweight off-grid camper. It's built with simplicity and flexibility in mind, which has led to their minimalist modular design. They have unique amenities like 270-degree batwing awning, an exterior slide-out table, and a portable Dometic fridge and freezer. They also have many camper customization options like the industry first add-on, which is a pop-top tent that's accessible from inside the camper. If you wanted to bring the kids along, for example, these campers will last for generations because of their four-season construction, aluminum exoskeleton, and framing with no wood used in the composite structural panels. These campers come standard with off-grid necessities like solar power, a portable power station, and filtered water storage as well. Scout now offers three models that fit a range of trucks. To find out more information and to explore the possibilities of Scout Campers, go to scoutcampers.com. This is a new thing for us today. We're actually going tactical. (laughs) We're talking about EDC, everyone. Yes. Start foaming at the mouth. (laughs) I don't know. People seem to be really into the EDC thing. I, I, I generally don't even carry things on my person other than my cell phone, but apparently people do. And there's times that we do as well. So yeah, 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 totally. So we're going to talk about the stuff that we have on our person. Typically when we're traveling, we're also going to talk about the gear that we bring along if we're flying into some place. And then we'll touch briefly on those high points of the stuff that we yeah. typically stick into the vehicle as well. And we're going to start off with Matt because he is such an interesting person and the stuff that he brings with him is so kick is so interesting <laughs> that I think it's going to be fun to talk about. So Matt, what do you always carry on your person? You know, I mean, I, generally as a person, I gesticulate wildly from one side to the other, but um, I, I'm a, like a fair weather overlander. I, I don't go to like Greenland in the middle of winter like you do. So, you know, typically, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the flip flops and board shorts kind of guy. Um, you know, occasionally I wear pants while overlanding. I, I generally try and avoid that, but I don't know. I mean, some of the useful things. Southeast Asia has completely ruined you. (laughs) Southeast Asia and Baja and Australia. I mean, are there any other places to go? Um, yeah, I don't know. So let's, let's start with the opposite of those places is a jacket. Um, yeah, I've been wearing this beyond thing that I actually got from you. Um, I I really like it. I like, it kind of has like a cool trendy camo print on the inside. So it's hip and it's cool. But it's really, really warm. I can't, I want to say it's like a thin silhouette style, you know, lining on the inside. It's just really comfortable um, and it's really durable too. I think when, when I do look for clothing, I look for stuff that, okay, sweet, um, shock reservoir falls off. So, so, something happens to your car. If I have to actually get underneath, I, I, I don't want it to be ruined. Um, so for me, a lot of those kind of, you know, I call them like the puffy jackets. I've never really, you know, you know, been up to it for me. Cause they kind of, they tear easily, you know, and they get the, ruined by the fire and everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. Sparks. Where this thing is like, I mean, I, I feel like you could fall off a motorcycle on it, but it's still cozy and comfy. Um, 
which is important to me. I mean, who doesn't want to feel cozy and comfy, but (laughs) that's a big thing. Um, you know, sunglasses, I guess are, are a thing. I, I guess it depends what I'm doing. I, I, I'm a, I'm a stickler for optical clarity. So I really like per soul. Um, and, uh, that's mainly because of their glass lenses, I guess. Um, they, they just seem to last longer. I, I always say like, I can't afford to do things or to buy things twice. Um, I've had the same pair for 10 years and they just work. I, I guess. Um, yeah. Once you find something that really works. Yeah. And it's been interesting talking about the beyond brand. Um, we, we've started to use some of their stuff and it's, it's been interesting to watch because, you know, in the last 15 years or so, a lot of what the special forces and recon and these other guys are using is coming more into the general consumer space where people are starting to adopt a lot of these technologies and a lot of these clothing types that these operators are using. And it was really interesting talking with, with the folks at beyond because they recognize that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, these guys were wearing this stuff. And in the beginning, they kind of look like tourists. They kind of, they were a little understated, but then everybody realized really quickly, like it's a guy in Patagonia with a set of Solomons on (laughs) he's now a target. So these, these companies are making technical gear that now looks like what everybody else wears. Yeah, and, and I think that's just the coolest thing with beyond. I mean, there's, there's definitely other brands that I enjoy that are, you know, more tactical. Um, but that, that stuff overseas, I, in my opinion, I, 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 I actively try to avoid it. Me too. Um, I, I remember I, trying to remember where in Tokyo I was, but there was two tactical, you know, local kids had the backpacks and all the, you know, that looked like they walked out of a five eleven store. They literally just got searched. Cause it's like, why, why do you, why are you dressing like this? Right. You know, it's transcended from being kind of cool guy stuff to like, um, you're now a target. You're now a target. Like it, I, know, I don't know. Yeah. One of the, I've had two very serious searches in all of my times mm-hmm. traveling. One of them was the Canadian border, which that just seems to be a thing at the Canadian border. But then the other one was at Iceland and I get off the plane and I've got all of the high speed. I look like the, like the, the operator guy. That's why I wear uh, uh, floral and paisley shirts. Yeah, I, good I idea. never look like that guy. <laughs> good idea. Well, and I, I get through customs and immigration and this guy walks up to me and says, Hey, we need to have a chat. And I'm like, all right. And he looks, and he's got a badge and everything looks very serious. So we go into this little room and he's like, uh, you need to disclose what branch of the military you're in. I'm well, I, I said, I'm a veteran. I, I was in the air force yeah. and he, he just did this full breakdown. Like, why are you here? What are you doing? I've never had this happen before, yeah. but I realized what was different that day wearing Solomon's I've got like the kind of tactical gear on. And I realized that I painted a target on me of military age male. I, I was in the military. I carry myself in a certain way and I'm wearing all of the stuff that checks the boxes. And they wanted to know why I was there. What was I doing? Uh, what was my intentions? And the same thing happened in Kenya. We, we got caught for doing an illegal border crossing from Uganda into Kenya, Brian Bass and I, and next thing you know, we're getting dressed down by the local police and they keep telling us we have to disclose our mission. And, and it's just because we had some paracord and we had some of yeah. these things that look very tactical. <clears throat> and I'm realizing that now I just don't have it at all. I avoid it almost like the plague. 
I do avoid it like the plague because for our new video listeners, I wear Birkenstocks, <laughs> the surest way to not, not be tactical, not be tactical. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also don't look very threatening in my opinion. Um, oh, that's funny. What, what are some of the things you carry? I mean, well, when, when I think about my like day to day clothing, what I have on me, I, I used to have a lot more stuff in my pockets, yeah. but it's interesting. I can't stand having stuff in my pockets. Right. Like, but the cool thing about the phones is it just steadily, everything. it steadily replaces all of the stuff. Yeah. So you don't have an iPod anymore. The iPods on your phone. You don't really need to have a pocket flashlight because these led lights on the phone are super bright. Pretty good. I, I, I mean, I have to say that, you know, I used to nearly religiously carry, you know, some sort of light source with me. I had this little double a triple watt designs flashlight kind of thing. Maybe it was triple a or something. Used to carry that with me. Used to be in my keys. Now, now I just have a phone. Yeah. Like, and, and they really know, work. I guess in, 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 you know, in, in a simple statement, what is my EDC? My phone. iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> it, can, it, it can be your wallet. It can be everything. You know, we're going to talk about. Do like, you do that? Do you have your wallet combined with your phone? A hundred percent. I use it as much as I can when I'm overseas. Um, you know, overseas, most payments are tap and go. Um, they are at least, at least when you're in, you know, first, second world countries, um, you know, it's, it's more secure. They're not getting my actual credit card number. There's, there's nothing for them to steal since the entire transaction is encrypted and really safe. Um, you know, I also find, I don't know. I, I, I just really like it. I guess I, I try and get that on all my cards these days. Um, just to tap and go. Cause then there's nothing for them to swipe. There's nothing for them to skim. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about actual security, I know we're talking about knives and guns and stuff with EDC use Apple pay or Google pay or, or, or contactless. Like where are you actually going to be a victim of a crime? It's probably when you're traveling, handing statistically, it's yeah. handing somebody your credit card. I mean, I shouldn't say statistically, I don't really know, but I know that when I travel, especially in the United States, cause it seems every gas pump you go to is, you know, some, somebody's skimming some kind of information, even in Prescott where we live, which um, is pretty sleepy. It um, is. And it's becoming more and more of a problem. And I do like the fact that we can now use our phone or a watch to do payments. Mm-hmm. And in the days of now COVID it's, it's, oh, I yeah. think a lot of that technology is going to come into play very rapidly. Have to. I'm seeing places that I've gone to for years where I used to have to slide a card or insert a card. Now I can just pay with the watch or with the phone. So I do, I do see the iPhone as being this killer app now for most of EDC. Um, when I'm, when I'm in North America, I, I tend to carry a few more things. Um, I do tend to carry a knife. Uh, CRKT came out with this pretty cool folding karambit. When I'm traveling internationally, I do have just a pocket knife. So yeah, I never want to clip. A, there's a size depending on the country yeah, that less you're Less than two in. inches. Yeah. 1.9 inches is a good standard for that. So I have, um, I think it's, it's uh, Prometheus Design Works had this cool little, looks like a Boy Scout folder that they yeah. sold for a while. Made in the USA. It's less than two inch blade length. And I just stick it in my pocket because I don't want the clip that shows that I've got a knife in my pocket. Exactly, yeah. And in a lot of in a lot of countries, it may allow a 1.9 inch knife, but in some cities, like if you're in New York, for example, you don't want to have a knife on you at all. Yeah. Um, there are very strict rest- restrictions uh, around knives in New York City. 
And same thing with London. London, very serious restrictions around knives. So you want to think about what is the lowest common denominator in your travels and make sure that you comply with that for the rest of your trip so you don't accidentally get caught with a knife. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I used to travel with a, with a knife and now I, you know, I mean, if I'm going to Baja or something, I, I, I just like to leave knives and stuff in the vehicle. I have like a DPX gear and knife from Robert Young Pelton. I love it because it opens Amazon boxes very, very efficiently. <laughs> um, and it has a kind of a built-in bottle opener integral to the blade. And I use that quite a bit. Um, but you know, but knives per, have their place yeah, when per, we're out in the field. Totally. I, I don't, I, I, I just, I've never traveled internationally with one. I mean, all the countries I go to, I mean, Australia, you, you don't want to get caught with that kind of stuff coming in. Correct. Um, you know, they're, they're a very, um, by the book kind of country. And the best way to do that, what I found is if you're traveling into a country or if you're doing carry on luggage only, which Matt and I both try to do in almost all cases, when I get into country, I just buy a cheap knife. Yeah. You just go to a local That's store. That's what I did in Namibia earlier this year. And then you ch- you throw it away or you give it to, you don't throw it away. You give it to a local, you give yeah. it to your, your buddy that you're hanging out with. You give them the knife before you leave. Um, but in North America, I, I do tend to carry a knife um, on me. I, I do have a very minimalist wallet. Uh, it's made by Magpul. It carries a couple credit cards. Um, it doesn't look tactical at all. It's yeah. just, it's just a very simple well, they, thin they, wallet. They use some really nice materials and, and you know, their, their construction techniques are relatively interesting. Like I love those little pouches they do that are like, Oh, the DACA you know, pouches. Yeah. They're like sealed or something. I have money. a few of those. Yeah. They're money. Yeah. You know, I use them for all of my wires and, and they're different colors. So when you reach into your backpack, you know, okay, the, the orange DACA pouch is for all my camera gear. The green one is for all of my wires and yeah. other, other stuff. You know, I, I don't currently do this, but I have, after this conversation, I'm, I'm going to get one of those for all the insurance paperwork. Cause I'll have Mexican insurance in the car usually year sure. round and all this stuff. I can just throw it in there. Get me the orange, get me the orange one. Yeah. Is all you have to say to your passenger. They don't have to flick through. You have your stuff in, in order, which is generally always good. Um, I think they're one of the best new products for every traveler. And like one of the experiences that I had in South America, I had my passport in an outside pocket on my motorcycle jacket, it torrential rain pour. Right. And I get to my next hotel or wherever I was staying and I pull out the passport and it was totally soaked. So now, and it, it created a problem like the passport, the RFID didn't work. It created problems with me getting in and out of airports until I got it replaced. So what I do now is I have one of the small DACA pouches and that's where I put my passport put, I put my currency and then it's always good idea. It's always Um, sealed. I, I put my passport, um, through a laundry cycle or, or, or or, or something. And I had to live with that without having that e-passport thing. I mean, I think one of the cool things as Americans is there are a lot of, you know, they'll allow Americans through the, you know, the, the e-passport lines um, or the resident lines in a lot of countries. And you just don't get to take advantage of that. And you get thrown into the general customs line and that's, Way more time, way more time, way more time. Do you, uh, I mean, guns, I guess EDC is a, is a big, a big part of that. Well, I do carry a gun at times, especially if I have people with me, a family and otherwise when I'm camping in North America uh, and I'll just carry a Glock 19. It's just kind of the ubiquitous solution for that. I have a little Ruger LCP. I I like it. It's made right here in Prescott. Yeah. That is a cool story. Like two, two miles from here or something like that. Yep got a little laser on it. I, I, 
I, I always think a laser getting shown at somebody at, in the middle of the night is probably enough deterrent for them to get the point. But Well, and I think around firearms, the most important thing, because we're not going to make this about firearms at all, but the most important things with firearms is if you own one, invest in the training that's necessary yes. to operate it safely and make sure that the people that are with you also have that training because they may need to use the firearm as well. Make sure you keep it secured, particularly around children. In North America, I do carry one. I have a lot of training in the use of it and mm-hmm. I feel comfortable with it. But when I travel internationally, I don't even think about it. Yeah. So yeah. It's not just put it out, put it out of your mind. But electronics, you're, you're big on the Microsoft surface thing. Well, but I'm, I'm like the love affair is, is maybe coming to an end. An end. I mean, one of the things about <clears throat> Apple is you, once you get into this ecosystem, everything works very well together. Yeah, it does. I, I think what happened for me is I had a half a million images in the Aperture program by Apple, and they discontinued that, which was, it was basically one of the first steps of them starting to abandon the creatives. And it was such a blow, not only yeah. just because I liked the program, but it was a huge endeavor for me to migrate. I was a huge Aperture guy. I, I did not like the transition to Lightroom. And now like I finally get on the Lightroom thing, and now they're saying... Oh, you have to use Lightroom Creative Cloud. I mean, there's things I like the cloud for, but I don't need every single image being downloaded all the time. I just want them. Especially since they just a few days ago had a major data failure and a bunch of people lost their images out of Creative Cloud. So it starts to make you think about, is this really safe? So I have written down under here, importance of the cloud when traveling. I will not talk about that one. Well, it is important. Because we can keep copies of all of our documents in the cloud. I use Google Drive for everything. everything. I've never had a failure with Google Drive. I think Google just knows that that's a no-go. You can never have that kind of a failure. I don't think I don't think Adobe is paying close enough attention to the critical nature of imagery and the fact that there's never an option. There's never a scenario where you can lose someone's photos. Yeah. And they just did that. And that's going to compromise people's confidence in the application. But when it comes to the Surface, what I liked was the fact that all of the Surface devices, except for some of their new uh, specific laptops, but I have a, a Surface Book 2. The screen comes off and I can use it to read at night. Oh, that's I have cool. a Surface Go. In fact, it's on the table right now. Uh, it works like an iPad um, or it works like a, a laptop. However, I think that no one's going to keep up with the innovation that's happening at Apple. Um, their innovation is useful. The iPhone is an incredibly useful tool. And I can see within the matter of a few years, I'm going to have an iPad pro that I'm going to use for travel. And then I'll have some monster Apple machine that I'll use for, for image and video edit when I'm back at the office. Yeah. And I, and I think while we're talking about electronics, I always love to bring up Google Fi. Um, I, I still have a Google Fi number, although my, my primary number, I did move to Verizon um, just because where we're, we live in Prescott, the service. Better coverage, yeah. It's just better coverage. Um, but overseas, Google Fi is flawless. It's $20 a month. Your phone works everywhere. Um, you know, I have to say that I, I think your phone is one of the most important travel tools. Um, you know. It's how we use, do everything. It's how we navigate. Well, think, think about like 10 years ago when you were traveling and you fly into, uh, let's just say Tokyo, because there's not a lot of English. Uh, it's relatively hard to get around if you don't have the information at your fingertips. H- how do you get around? It's but difficult. Now it's just like you, you fly in, oh, 
Uber, pick me up. Oh, hotel. Okay, sweet. Follow the map. It's there. It's just, it's so many things in one. So I think having a phone that works and having service on it, the phone's only as good as the service. Yep. Um, you know, arguably like Wi-Fi is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, but is it going to stay that way? It's days are numbered. Yeah. 5G will replace that. And then yeah. eventually satellites will replace that. Yeah. And yeah. we're just going to have it everywhere. We're going to be in the middle of the Gobi desert and have, have coverage. Yeah. That It'll Tesla be- internet that's coming from the sky. Um, yeah. All of that technology in, enables travel. It's, it's, I have had the tendency to want to approach things as a Luddite because you think about the days gone by and you think about the fact that people crossed the Sahara in very simple vehicles and they had none of this technology. And in some ways, I think they had a better experience. Yeah, it's more romantic. You're in, not, o- in other the, ways, the emails aren't pinging you in the middle of nowhere. In other ways, we're now able to work from the road. So technology has allowed me to continue to travel and experience the remote areas while I'm still able to stay connected to work. Yeah. You know, and I think USB-C is something, um, you know, it's a small thing, but everything that I can get that's USB-C, it means I only have to carry one charger. You know, I have my, my, my little Apple brick thing that comes with a laptop. Well, I have the USB-C cable to the iPhone that's the only cable I really have to carry these days. Pretty much. I, I like that idea of a, a standardized charging. It's such protocol. a win. It's such a win. Even my Sony camera charges with USB-C. Yeah. All of the devices that I carry now, including my charging bricks, everything connects via USB-C. The only thing that I have that's non-standard now is the, uh, the iPhone requires still the, what is that? The lightning connection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that I have, my, my Leica doesn't charge by USB-C. I'm, I'm hoping that that's in the future. I think that their, their, um, mirrorless, uh, SL2 now charges by USB-C, which is great. But, um, then, you know, the, the dang Bose headphones, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have to have noise canceling headphones. If you are a traveler, they are so handy, whether you're in a loud hotel your camping, Such a you know, difference. a campsite um, is loud or you're, you're camping in a street. I throw those things on. It's just provides a little bit of solace. And, um, and it allows us to get more work done while we're traveling. Yeah. And if I can be more efficient and have less distractions and get more work done in a smaller amount of time, then it allows me to travel more. And that's really the key yeah. at the end of the day. So tell us about your camera kit. I'm a camera geek. I mean, listen, like cam- cameras for me are as much about the experience as they are, you know, the, the end image, I, everything I have is capable of creating, you know, fantastic imagery. Um, but I do have, I guess, two setups that I, um, that I will either both carry with me or, you know, I'll kind of pick one. Um, I'm a huge Leica guy. Um, I like, a. <laughs> those cameras. Um, honestly, for a few reasons, I, I buy the bodies secondhand, you know, they're very expensive new, but, um, within a year they lose 50% of their value. Um, and then they kind of bottom out from there. Um, but the real reason that you, you use Leica equipment is the lenses. Um, they are, they're just, they're just fascinating. Like in the same way that I think people are into, are into watches because of the mechanical nature of them and the engineering and the design and, um, you know, these lenses are near optical 
perfection for some of them. Um, and even their imperfections make it charming. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I just, I just acquired a, a Sumicron 50 millimeter, sorry, a Sumilux, um, like a, a, applies a name to the maximum aperture that each of their lenses offers. Uh, Sumicron is kind of the gold standard. That's a, an F2. Um, and, and honestly, after Sumicron, that is optical perfection. Everything from there you're acquiring is, is just speed and the amount of light that can come into the camera. But I, I love the, I, for, for taking photos of people or cities or culture, I, I just find it's, you know, it, it's something that's a little bit larger than your phone, obviously in, in, in depth. Um, but people don't really know what they are still. Um, you know, those who know, They're super understand. Um, but I mean, I guess as, you know, your Sony, for example, that's gotten quite a bit smaller. Um, so I think anything that is a dedicated camera these days isn't necessarily discreet. Um, but I, I just, I just love shooting with them, you know, particularly with my stuff in Southeast Asia, you know, it's easy to, you know, turn it to F11 and kind of hyperfocal distance and the, the shots that I've gotten that I just wouldn't be able to get. Um, yeah, I shouldn't say I wouldn't have been able to get with a Canon or anything because the Canons, let's face it, uh, it's a better camera. I mean, it's more versatile. It has autofocus. Sure. Um, I don't know, but the Canon for me is more of a work camera. If I actually, if I'm like, okay, I have to get this shot. There's going to be a lot of movement. Things are going to be changing. The the Canon, I guess is what I go for. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have two systems, but my Leica stuff every day goes up in value. Um, yeah, I think that's the strongest argument for it. I mean, watching when you first started buying the Leica lenses, you've actually made money yeah. on your investment. Like quite a bit of money on some of the stuff. Um, you know, you get into these and I don't know how much it is the case um, today, much like air-cooled Porsches, you know, you used to be able to buy them for five, ten thousand $10,000 and now they're a hundred. Um, but there were some kind of oddballs in the lineup that weren't desirable to the collectors that just wanted the very best. They wanted the Summilux. They wanted the Noctilux, which is a, a 0.95, yeah. which is crazy. Um, so when I was younger, I just, you know, instead of buying the, you know, the three or $400 Canon lens that would have been worth nothing down the road. Um, I guess I was just lucky enough to invest in these and, kind of have always bought and sold and um, have kind of worked my way up and made it a little bit of a hobby, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah the, like an, a savings account that you can use and take pleasure in every day. Exactly. From an art, art perspective. And I guess there's other things too, that we use every day that can be an investment. Uh, we talked a little bit about watches before we started, yeah. started recording and um, there are watches that are investment grade and they're, they're not only investment grade, but they have universal value globally. So if you're somewhere in Russia or you're somewhere in, in, in Africa and you need a get out of jail card, um, oftentimes the right kind of watch will do that. So you can, cause when we travel, there are limitations on what we can carry in currency <clears throat> and even getting close to those limits draws a lot of suspicion. So, but if you have a watch, like let's say, for example, you have a Rolex GMT or a Rolex Submariner on your wrist. They're a little more understated. They're not, you know, don't get the gold one. Get get one that looks yeah, a little never more. Never travel with a gold watch, people. Yeah. That is just <laughs> it's asking for one, trouble. people are going to think it's fake. And two, people are going to think you're a moron. <laughs> or, or, or they're going to think, uh, you know, let's 
take this guy's half this guy's arm off to get it. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you if you do wear a more understated watch from a company like Rolex, you have that get out of jail free yeah. card on your wrist at all times. So if you need to get that emergency flight home or something crazy happens with your vehicle and you just don't have access to enough cash uh, or it's difficult to get access to cash, um, yeah. any of those kinds of scenarios, that watch can... Any jeweler in the world will buy a Rolex. That's right. I mean, you may not get top dollar for it, but you're going to be able to translate that watch into cash very quickly in most countries of the world. And there's also that pleasure, again, like the Leica of owning something that is analog. Yeah. And the whole thing is just fascinating. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge watch guy. Um, you know, my, my jewelry, I guess is my Leica camera collection. Um, but looking at the, the Rolex stuff, like a GMT master is like $9,000 new, but you can't find a used one for under $12,000. And if you just, if, if you're able to find a new one, um, buy it, and you can sell it for like twice the money as, as a new item and travel for a while. That's there's, there's some interesting advice, but you can't find them. They're, they're very difficult to find. If you go into most Rolex stores, there's super limited, usually the stuff that people don't want to buy, but that standard GMT or Submariner or Explorer, those watches really can be investment grade less so now, but if you bought one five years ago, you've really seen an increase in value, but it's nice to know that you can buy something and enjoy it for a lifetime and then give it to your kids and they're going to enjoy it for a lifetime. These are, these are really um, special tools for travel, I think, and consistent with what you've done with the Leica. Yeah. And uh, you kind of brought up an interesting point with it being a bit of a, a a way to, to transfer currency or to have something on your, on your, on your arm that you can sell. There are countries that will actually kind of limit the amount of jewelry and things that you bring in where you have to have a carnet for you have it. to have a carnet for it um, sometimes, but typically not the watch. Like if you got just the, that, one- that kind of flies through, but I, but I have heard, you know, I, I've actually had it happen to me um, again, going into Australia with camera gear. They're like, yep. Oh, why are you bringing this camera gear? Do you have proof of it? And eventually they realize, like, you know, I'm not selling it. I'm not, right. I'm not there to do that, but that is something I guess to keep in mind with. Those yeah. Things. If you come in with a big Pelican case full of camera gear and lenses, yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely an issue. Mm-hmm. So I guess on my camera, I, I shot Canon forever and, and I loved the Canon setup, but it was so big. I, I had a, a 5d with that 28 to 300 on it. I pretty much left that lens bolted on, on that camera for seven continents of travel. But what I wanted to do was get to something that was much more compact for use on the motorcycle. And so I went with the Sony A7R3 and the A7 III so that I have some redundancy on the bodies. And then I started off with the Sony Zooms and I ended up just not being very happy with them. They, they have a 24 to 240 that by the time I was done with the trip to Australia, the, the lens was smoked and I didn't get a single sharp image to my standards out of it. Yeah. So I started buying the Zeiss Battis line of yeah, prime. Those are supposed to be great. Prime lenses. And uh, I use an 85 millimeter most of the time. I uh, have a 40 millimeter for it as well. Also have an 18, but I, I find that I hardly ever use the 18 because now my iPhone has, has that wide angle. a wide angle lens. And most of the time I don't need this ultimate image quality out of a wide angle shot. I'm shooting the inside of a building or I'm shooting the inside of a car. 
And it's not like I'm shooting that beautiful last forever portrait of somebody. Yeah. It's, I, I, I just re- use the phone. <laughs> I remember when we were in Greece and we were at like the Parthenon or something. Yeah. And here I am like, you know, like I'm having my experience with my Leicas and that's what I like about them. And then, you know, I'm looking through my images and I'm like, look at this phone. Look at what I just got with my new iPhone 11, <laughs> oh, yeah. whatever, something pro max thing. I'm like, ah, oh. I know it was so annoying. Yeah. Like, like here I am with, I'm holding a car in my hands of, of, of imaging equipment and the iPhone's just so good. They're really, they're really good. And I use the, I do use the iPhone 11 pro max because it has three different focal lengths. You can shoot in raw. There are some great apps that allow you some manual control over, over the images and in, in including what, what comes with the iPhone standard for applications. But I do find that I now only use the iPhone for wide angle shots and yeah. I don't bring the wide angle lens with me. So I focus on having that 40 millimeter, which is the walk around lens. And then the 85, which is what I do for portraits. And then if I'm going to Africa where I'm going to be shooting uh, animal, taking photographs of animals, then I have a 100 to 400. So I have that 100 to 400 for the Canon, and it's just, it's just great. It just works, works awesome. It's, it's close enough to not get eaten. Yeah. Also allows you get a little bit wide. <laughs> Yeah. I, I wonder how many generations we are of, of iPhone development or phone development before I, I go and I say, why do I even, why do I even bring this like a for street photography? You know, yeah. I touched on it earlier. Um, you know, particularly when you're shooting culture or people or in cities or things like that, which as travelers, we find ourselves in quite a bit. It's not all just remote stuff. Um, any camera these days, draws awareness. If, if you, if you pull up just your regular cell phone, people just walk by cause they're they like, Oh, it's a cell phone. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in some of those, you know, Leica's partner. Uh, I think you say it. Huawei. Okay. Huawei. Yeah. Sure. Whatever the one that, um, our president has banned from the U S they're supposed to have some like 40, 50 megapixel, like cameras with act, like optical zoom. And I, I wonder how far, off we are from seeing optical zoom in a, in an iPhone. Yeah. They'll find out some way to do it. it and the sensor can get large enough. And yeah. next thing it's just a technology problem now, which is something that they will solve. Yeah. Yeah. Luggage. I'm a huge fan of these North face duffel bags only because I bought them at TJ Maxx like 15 years ago. And they've just never really given me a reason to look elsewhere. I, 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 they last forever. They, they just, work. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles I've flown and travel and driven and how many roof racks they've been strapped to on the top. Um, I, I love the duffel bags for traveling. Um, but I have to say I, I was that guy that got really tired of like, even though these things have like the, the luggage, you know, the backpack straps on them, eventually that gets old when you're going through a lot of airports. I don't know. Yeah, I tend to I tend to carry most of my electronics in. There's a new uh, Pelican Air that I've been using. Yeah, and it's a lot lighter, so you're not taking up so much of your available poundage in the luggage itself. So I tend to use a Pelican Air for all the electronics, camera gear, etc. And then I will put some kind of a duffel on top of it, so then I can wheel it around. And I use. I, I like the Red Ox bags a lot. They're made in the United States. They will last a lifetime. The only limitation with them is weather. So they're not weather sealed. And in that case, I'll use uh, Ether, which is a, a pretty cool brand out of California. 
they they did a bunch of welded seam waterproof zipper bags. So I have a little backpack that I use from them and I have a small duffel that I use from them. And I've probably got more air miles on those two than I do any of my other choices. But I either use Redox when I'm in the vehicle when I'm in a vehicle and I tend to use the ether stuff yeah. when I'm traveling. Yeah, you know, I I do have kind of a go-to um you know, duffel for weather, uh, a good buddy of mine, Jeremy Womack up in Telluride turned me on to watershed. Oh yeah. Those are nice. Yeah. They're, they're you know, they're made for kayaks and river trips and, and that kind of thing. That's another one of those things that I've had for nearly, I probably had it for eight or nine years. Um, and what's most impressive to me is that it's maintained its air tightness, its water tightness through, through air travel. Like I, I, I always say like, there's probably no better test for the durability of a material than to send it through checked luggage. Like you don't, you don't know what's happening. It's getting pinched. It's getting hit. It's getting poked. Whatever's in it wants to come out. Um, What's, what's kind of cool with that is I'll, is I'll fill it up um, with air and then you roll it tight, tightly closed and you can kind of strap it down to where at least on the ground when it's getting loaded, it's almost pressurized. Sure. Um, That obviously goes away with altitude changes and it's not airtight, but for that initial, like it's getting shoved down into the system. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but it seems to, isn't it like a, it's almost like a, uh, it's like a zip, ziplock kind of seal. And then you roll it up. It is, it yeah, is that's cool. Um, you, you have to be careful to, you do have to put some kind of lubricant on that, that seal. Otherwise it'll get a little bit, a little bit dried out, but with regular maintenance, those things have been great. Um, and I have to say, I did switch to a carry on for, you know, when we're doing these press trips or, you know, we're flying somewhere or I'm flying somewhere. And I know that, um, you know, a large portion of it is going to be in transit. Um, I, I bought one of those Rimowa suitcases a while ago. I know now they've been like acquired by Louis Vuitton or something. That's not, that wasn't my interest in it. My interest in it is that for, you know, 50 or 60 or 70 years, people have been using these things because they're an aluminum suitcase. So they're well sealed. They're, they're well sealed. They actually have an O-ring um, around the edges. They have locks built into them. They're just really high quality. Um, I got tired of every year having to buy a new hundred to $200 carry on suitcase. Um, so I, I think, you know, this thing was maybe 700 bucks or something at the time I bought it, which is a lot of money. Um, but when you're somebody that travels hundreds of thousands of miles a year, I've already had it for a few years and it's already paid for itself. Yeah. Um, and, and any dents that it gets just adds character yeah, to it. It just, it's like a badge of honor on those things. You know, I, I, I just, I like them. They have, well, mainly the thing that I like is just that built in, that built in locking system. And I know that you can get that on a lot of things, but I, I feel that it is quite secure. You know, it, it is a, it's aluminum. It's not a, it's not you a can't cut it with a knife. You can't just cut it open. Um, I don't know. I, those are a nice way to go. And it's another thing like, like the Leica where they don't really go down in value. So if you sell it five years later used, yeah. you maybe lost 30% of the value. I think, I think they sell for nearly double of what I paid for mine or something. So you probably, days. it's probably again, gone it's up probably, in value. it's probably gone up in value. And that, that's like the crazy thing these days. There's so much money in the world and arguably, um, you know, things are a bit unfair, but people are paying double the price of a new Rolex. Yeah. Just, just, just to get it before somebody else. Like, um, but I think as a traveler, if you're, you know, if you're smart with your money, um, you know, you turn those consumable items into something that's going to one, just 
give you a more pleasurable experience as the end user. Um, and then you end up with something that is maybe worth more down the road if you ever have to sell it. And it seems like that's worked well for you. And there's other people in the industry like John Lee from Expedition Exchange. He's always purchased these things that have future val- likely future value increases. Mm. I don't think he does it he's for that great reason, that. but he, but he has timed those things and he's, so he's been able to enjoy these items for decades and then if he does sell them, he's actually made a profit on it instead of it needing to go to the goodwill. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, again, I, I, I always say I cannot afford to buy things twice. You know, I'm lucky to be able to afford the nice thing once, um, but I don't want to buy it again. Yeah, um, and I, it I takes time. And, and I don't think that's good for the world. I don't, I, I don't you know, we're all consumerists, but um, I think buy once, cry once has always been a, a really strong thing for me. So in your... What are the things in your truck? What are those little hacks? That Ooh, you've rice got? cooker. That's that. That's been my latest thing. We, for whatever reason, we eat a lot of rice. Like it's filling. It's it's a you know it's that starchy thing that you need in your life. Um, so we bought this twelve <laughs> this this twelve volt rice cooker on Amazon. You know, it was like the only one available, but it works. You know, we've probably used it, I don't know, ten or fifteen times, and it's like, you know, for our we're, well, we're now releasing this on YouTube with cameras, it's this big. And what we do is I, we just put the rice that we would have normally carried, um, you know, and would have inevitably found a way to get out and coat the inside of your drawers in <laughs> rice. It's now secure and it's in there. And, um, you know, we have a, a pretty substantial lithium battery in that, that can run it in that vehicle. So, yeah, I mean, it's once it heats up, yeah, I don't think it uses a huge amount of electricity, but, but love, love, love that. Um, I just know. use tasty bites, tasty bite rice. You see, I instant rice. I, I'm not French, but what I love and, and, and have kind of stolen from the French is the food. Like what is the point of life if you're not eating well? <laughs> yeah. Like I was talking to this one guy and he's like, which mountain house do you eat? And I'm like, never. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like Laura, if you're listening, I love your food. Um, I don't actually cook. I am. I am clueless, but I'm, I'm lucky. Enough Another reason why I'm, you're very lucky to have Laura in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of, of many reasons. But, um, I, I, we also had this little snow peak cutting board. It's like, a, you know, maybe it's 18 inches by 10 inches. It's not huge as far as a cutting board goes, but the fascinating thing with it, it has a cutout and a magnet for this snow peak knife that's included. Um, and I, I've, I've had one of those, I've had multiple versions of them. They get left somewhere or, or, or whatnot, but love those things. Those are great. It, it keeps the knife safe when it's bouncing around. It's not like it's bouncing around getting dull. Um, and, and they're really good value. They're I think they're fairly inexpensive. 40 bucks. Yeah. Um, which but, I think some people would say is a lot for a knife that they can get, but it's again, one of those things that should last a lifetime, should last a long time. What, anything what? else, anything else you've got your little hacks in the truck? <sighs> You know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan with drawers. Um, a lot of people will put in, in my, I will say as travelers, will put their recovery gear or their, their tools and that kind of stuff. They always put them in the drawers. Um, I, I, I think the opposite way. Um, my, my experience has told me that I spend less time unstuck than I do stuck. I spend less time not working on my car than I do working on my car. Um, and that the convenience for all of 
you know, the, the convenience that I really get from the drawers is I love using packing cubes um, to put my clothes in the drawer. It's like having your, and your little kitchen dresser kit too, right? in, our, in our kitchen. So one side's basically, you know, food. Um, we do carry a lot of cooking stuff with us because we like to eat well. Um, and then, you know, the right side drawer, um, you know, we each have, you know, maybe a, I want to say the drawers are, I should know this. I don't know. They're, they're 18 inches, 20 inches wide. And we kind of give ourselves a 20 by 20 section in each one of those things. And we use these packing cubes. Um, and it just makes life better on the road when you're, when you're going for a while, you know, where everything is easy to access it. If you're going to stay in a hotel or you're going to stay with friends, you just, you pull a few packing cubes out and you go. Um, I, I find when you're, when you're just living out of a duffel bag, how much time do you, spend like, okay, well, where's the clean underwear? And you're just like rummaging sure. around this bag. Sure. You're looking for the lost sock where I know where my sock is. I, I know where my underwear are. I know where my, you know, all the essentials, um, you know, and, and then you can have a, a laundry bag. I think having a laundry bag for traveling is just so handy. That's really important. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess, I guess my stuff is, is less, um, you know, we've talked about the recovery gear before and that, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I love to have an iPad with me. Um, the Netflix app you can download offline. Um, you know, so like, let's be honest, like there's definitely those nights when you're traveling where everything goes right. And you're, you know, you have this beautiful sunset and you have a margarita and you're on the beach and you just fall asleep peacefully. And then sometimes there's those nights where, you know, you're, camping in a campground because that's all that's available. And some dude next to you is goes generator running, got his generator running or whatever. So I, I stuck Velcro on the back of my iPad and I stick it on the, the, the ceiling of my AT summit. And I don't know, I watch Rick and Morty to fall asleep or something <laughs> like, yeah. um, or Frasier big on those nineties sitcoms. Um, I don't know, just, just little hacks. I mean, most of my stuff that, that those I bring make a with, difference. So it's based around comfort. It's based around longevity this is uh this isn't a sprint for us. We've been traveling overland on and off several months a year for a while, 10, yeah, almost, almost, a decade, ten yeah. almost a decade. So I, I like those little, those little niceties. They just make things easier. And I find that the more that I reduce my kit, the happier I am as a traveler. Yeah. So I just keep eliminating things. And, and but, there's a couple, a couple items that come to mind that I, that I didn't talk about. I've recently gone to all of the, this nomad gear. So they happen to be subscribers to Overland Journal. They, they run a company out of California and they make these super durable iPhone cables. They make super durable USB-C cables, these little power bricks, these little charging pads for your phone and your watch. And I've just completely moved over to their kit because none of those cables fail on me. They're really, oh, that's really nice. They're Even really the durable stuff. Yeah, they always fray at the ends. These things, and they all have straps integrated, so you can tie them up, and and they've got different lengths. So yeah, like they're not a supporter or advertiser. I just really like their gear, and they it's the little things like that like, makes a huge difference. Like um, we went back through Apuvo after the Land Rover thing in Namibia, um, and trying to find an iPhone cable, yeah, impossible. Actually, it was really easy. That was really going with that. But but the point <laughs> being that like I had to take an hour of my life to like try and find a little electronic store. And well, that's cool. You found like, it. It was cool. But, you know, because everybody has smartphones. Yeah. Um, but still, the point being that it's nice to just have something 
you, if you're in, if you're in that country for two, three, four weeks in five years, are you going to think that it is memorable to, to buy a new phone cable? Sure. That was, a, that was an hour that I'll never get back. Yeah. That was an hour that meant we didn't get to the campsite that we liked. Sure. I don't know. And it's Little been things. fun for me to see my, all my electronics just keep getting smaller and oh, smaller yeah. and smaller. And it all fits in a small backpack now. So many fewer cables because everything's becoming standardized. So when we think about everyday carry, ask the question, what can I get rid of? What can I consolidate? What can be a multi-use item? Because the less stuff that we have with us, the fewer things we lose, the less money we even invested in them to begin oh. with. And then we end up with a lot more enjoyable trip. Well, thanks for all those ideas, Matt. Yeah. Awesome. I don't know. I mean, again, I, I, I like to be really practical with my stuff. I'm not saying don't take recovery gear. I'm not saying don't do all of those things, but I guess what I'm, what I, what I love to tell people is bring some things that are actually for you. You know, we Make have your like, life a little, we better. have like a little fan in the Jeep. Well, that fan is probably our most loved thing when it's 80 degrees at night. Sure. You know, like a little, a little, air. A little spray bottle, don't forget about yourself, I guess is all I'm saying when it, when it comes to the EDC. That's what everyday, everyday carry is all yeah, about. Exactly. Well, thank you all for listening and we will talk to you next time.